0: Welcome to the Center for International and Regional Studies at Georgetown University in Qatar. These podcasts are part of a research initiative titled Building a Legacy Qatar FIFA World Cup 2022.
1: Welcome, everybody. My name is Professor Daniel Reichel, and we are welcoming today Fakunda Mutash, captain of the Afghanistan women's national football team and professional player with the Dutch team Fortuna Sita, and Dr. Ani. Anne um, Forson, Vice President of Student and Institutional Advancement at the American University of Afghanistan and a former football player. We are talking with Fakunda and Ani how Qatar held prior to the FIFA World Cup 2022 football players and students from Afghanistan. Thank you for joining us today, Fakunda and Ani.
0: It's a pleasure.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here.
1: Before we talk more in detail about Qatar's remarkable role in evacuating Afghan students and football players, let us first talk about your sporting careers. Fakunda, you grew up in Canada. Your parents are from Afghanistan. When did you start playing football, and how did your journey in the Afghanistan national women's team start and evolve?
0: So. I grew up in Canada, correct? I came to Canada when I was two years old, but I'm originally from Afghanistan. And so growing up, um, you know, football was embedded in my family, especially my father. He was, you know, a huge fan. He played as well. But also just the Afghan culture is very active. They are, you know, intimate fans of football. And so I grew up playing from a very young age, about four years old. It started off with recreational football. And then I had two older siblings who were playing very competitive. And so I grew into uh, playing competitive football at the highest levels in Canada and was part of the Canadian provincial pathway. I was, um, you know, playing at the top tiers of my age category, transitioning into League One Ontario, and then afterwards competing uh, for York University's varsity women's soccer team and captaining that as well. So when I was doing very well in football, the opportunity for to play for Afghanistan kind of came out of the bloom. Uh, my parents were contacted by people from the Federation stating that um, in 2016, there was going to be an ID camp in May uh, in California and that they were going to invest heavily in women's football, and they were looking for really good prospects to come out to this camp and be analyzed and see if they would potentially be a good fit for the national team. And so, um, of course, uh, the dream was to play and give back to Afghanistan in some way or another. Um, and the best way to do it for me was through football and playing football for Afghanistan has the journey started in 2016. It continues. It continues. Uh, to this date, of course, a lot of roller coasters throughout the throughout the journey, but uh, essentially we do want to progress women's football in Afghanistan. We want to provide opportunities and resources to support them. And I think playing for Afghanistan is greater than just football. It's about changing stereotypes and mindsets and uh, empowering young young women and girls.
1: Perfect, thank you. Arnie, you were a Division I varsity soccer player with University of South Carolina from 1984 until 1987. And you even played in the UEFA Europa League for a club from your home country, Iceland. How many years played football a central part of your life, and how did you manage to pursue an academic career at the same time?
2: Thanks, Daniel. I think I was born with football in my hands. Uh, it's been a passion. <laughs> All my life, although at this point in my life, I, I, I struggle with, uh, you know, walking uh, almost compared to what I used to do back in the day. Um, you know, I grew up with, with uh, playing football or soccer, as they call it in, in the United States. And, um, and then uh, played in different teams in Iceland and, and had this chance to go to the United States, which was a new thing, really. Uh, back in the day that people went to the United States for uh, scholarships in in the United States for sports. And uh, in fact, I found out that I was one of the first uh, uh, young men to do that. And later on, women started doing that as well. Um, And so uh, it was just an opportunity to see what would happen to go to the United States. and, And really, it was sort of like uh, working and going to school like a lot of people do. Um, you had a very, very tight schedule around your school. You were given an opportunity to take classes at times when it did not interfere with your um, football activities. Uh, the the way it was back in the day, there was no internet or anything like that. We just sort of found um, uh, a school through um, the Fulbright Foundation, through thick books with lists of universities that said, we have football and we give scholarships. And I was given the opportunity in the first year to um, uh, get what is called in-state scholarship in the United States. They gave us $100 so we could get a a smaller fee for the university. I had about $10,000 to my name. So I used all that money uh, to pay for the first year with the promise that if I was in the starting team, then they would give us a full scholarship. Mm-hmm. And um, no pressure, right? And uh-huh. so uh, I was lucky enough to, to be in the starting team that first year and uh, we did very well. Sort of turn around the, the teams, uh, so, uh, they, they hadn't done very well and, they, and so we changed it around and it became a successful team. And so I got a full scholarship the following three years. Um, it was not easy. To balance football and and going to school and and studying, especially we played in the fall and two two days a week mostly, and and it was a challenge, but boy, it was a life-changing experience.
1: You obtained a degree in what? Uh,
2: Well, I had my degrees, uh, undergraduate degrees were in what was called then management science and marketing, and my PhD is in marketing. Okay. Yeah,
1: um, Fakunda, um uh, let's move to, to, to the evacuation of uh, Afghan uh, football players and students to, to Qatar and first talk about football. Qatar was at the forefront of uh, evacuating Afghan women's football players. In November 2021, a friendly match between the Qatari and the Afghanistan national women's teams took place in Khalifa International Stadium, one of the eight World Cup venues. Why you didn't play in that match? What can you tell us about the game and the evacuation of Afghan players from their home country? And where are the women now based?
0: Yes, of course. So in the last uh, year and a half or two years, um, Qatar definitely played an instrumental role in supporting Afghans with their evacuation, with uh, providing them with temporary asylum until they find a full-time solution. So, of course, um, they're showing that, you know, not only hosting the World Cup is important to them, but also uh, progressing human rights and providing opportunities for everyone to kind of excel um, they did uh, support heavily with evacuating um, through FIFA, evacuating some uh, female footballers from Afghanistan. And so it was around October 14th, I believe, that their flight came into Qatar. And during their short stay of a month, the Qatar Football Federation, uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, along with Generation Amazing and the Afghan Football Federation were able to arrange a matchup between The players that were evacuated on that flight uh, for the national team and uh, the Qatari national team, which I think is just a huge testament that shows that, you know, football is about unity and, you know, the love and the passion and the grit of the sport is what really helps us progress and to be able to allow them to play on the world's biggest platform and reignite and revive the spirit of football in them was just huge. So, of course, we are very, very uh, thankful of the the Qatari government and everyone that supported Afghan refugees, but also to provide them with uh, opportunities when they are staying in Qatar um, and providing them with a welcoming and hospitable environment is just so essential for their growth.
1: Where are the women now? Are they safe and can they pursue playing football?
0: Yeah. So uh, with with the woman specifically that were evacuated to Qatar and then afterwards headed on to Albania, they are currently in Albania. Um, They are safe. uh, But of course, like many Afghans, Um, That is not their final destination. So they're kind of in this limbo situation where they're waiting on a potential nation to provide them with asylum, to provide them with permanent residency. So as you can imagine, it is extremely difficult. It's emotionally draining. Although they're in safe environments, it's not the optimal environment for them to excel. And so um, they are in a difficult situation. And that's kind of I'm, I'm very much in contact with them and trying to find solutions for them. But luckily we do have other female athletes that were evacuated before that as well and are progressing quite well. Uh, but again, the the situation within Afghanistan is very difficult in the sense that we have so many female athletes that have been evacuated. They're in safe nations. They want to kickstart their life and their careers, their academics, their football, but, uh, because of the circumstances within Afghanistan and because of the fact that we cannot officially represent Afghanistan due to the safety and security threats that would be imposed on the individuals living in Afghanistan, specifically individuals of the Afghanistan Football Federation, it makes it difficult for us to restart our project and build a sustainable framework uh, where we can be at our best again and competing in official competitions.
1: Um, You founded a non-profit organization, Scarborough Simbas, that helps refugees settle in the country where you grew up, Canada. Can you share with us some insights uh, uh, in the work of your NGO, in particular, it's helped for Afghan refugees?
0: For sure. So we started Scarborough Simbas uh, a couple of years ago, and essentially Scarborough Simbas is a nonprofit organization in Canada where we help refugees and newcomers settle through football. So we ease their settlement journey. We provide leadership camps and training. We provide free football camps, um, You know, uniforms, kits, really empower them and allow them to revive the spirit of football and their love for the game. And, you know, a bunch of other things like providing grocery gift cards, providing other recreational activities that really allow them to be a play a greater role in Canadian society. So that is incredible. We've been supporting a lot of Syrian refugees. But as you can imagine, with the influx of Afghan refugees, um, they are heavily um, now involved in our programming. So we are supporting Afghan youth, which is great. Um, They are being mentored. They are having incredible opportunities to play and, you know, limiting the barriers of, uh, uh, of sport participation, which is incredible. But also what we do is we have hosted a lot of charity tournaments where all the funds would go towards Afghanistan or settling Afghans, uh, domestically within the greater Toronto area. So yes, we are very much, um, you know, advocating and supporting refugees settling in Canada, but specifically with regards to Afghans, because they are in a very difficult situation. Um, we have done our utmost due diligence to be a sense of support and welcome and welcome them into the Canadian fabric of society through football.
1: Yeah. And not only uh, football players and athletes were in a difficult situation, but but also students. So let's move to to Arnie and you. Um, discuss uh, about, uh, the American University of Afghanistan that was established in Kabul in 2006. And maybe before we talk specifically about the AUaf's relocation to Qatar, I mean, not everybody uh, who is listening to us might might know the American University of Afghanistan. can you share with us some insights about the history of the university? what were the main drivers for its establishment? And how did the university develop before the Taliban took control in summer 2021, and the AUAF had to to leave the country?
2: Yeah, first of all, Farkunta, great story about the the football players, and and uh, I've been following that as well. So it's it's great to know that there's been some. Uh, uh sort of work made there, uh, although I'm familiar with the story of people being in limbo, uh, even in Albania where some of our people have been. but um, AUaf started in 2006 uh, because there were Afghans who had the vision of, of uh, providing education to women and um, and so the idea was there to to build a university with the American model. Of education uh, to uh, provide that. Um, now, the first uh, group of students that started included only one brave woman, uh, but but slowly and surely um, that has changed. Uh, for most of of uh, the, the last decade, when we have been growing uh, slowly but surely uh, up to about a thousand students. The uh, percentage of females has increased uh, steadily uh, for the last few years. It's been right in the 40 to 45% uh, region. Uh, but this year is actually the first year that we have majority women at AUAF. Uh, we recruited um, 300 new students who are uh, learning through online uh, efforts, uh, from, uh, from everywhere in the world, our faculty are everywhere. And, uh, and out of those 300, there are 200 women who were uh, brought into the university as new students, which is really great. It shows that, uh, first of all, AUF has more or less been sort of like the dream university for Afghans for, for some time now, both in the undergraduate program and uh, also with our MBA. And that reputation continues. Uh, Students really want to study. Uh, They want to learn. They are looking to the future, however they will impact Afghans and Afghanistan, whether it's inside the country or outside the country. Uh, We're gonna continue to provide that uh, as long as we uh, have funds. And so um, it's an important component I think of of our dream is to continue to have an impact as we say, education will prevail. And we believe that very, very firmly that we are going to have an impact, uh, in making sure that women will continue to have an education.
1: Which it's, degrees are you offering?
2: We are, de- uh, we're offering degrees in, uh, business in it, in law and in public policy. And, um, and uh, what I love is, is that business and IT are the ones that the women really like. And, and I, I just love it when women go and, and do IT because it's such a man's world in the past. But the women are just as good in it, if not better. And so I, I really love the fact that the young women are, are in that field and, and realizing the importance of it. So the the
1: 15 years of the American University of Afghanistan in Kabul from 2006 to 2021 also included like uh, sad incidents like 2016 and attack on campus where uh, uh, people were killed and wounded. So um, it seems that was like a a bit of constant battle of uh, being accepted in society, right?
2: Well, uh, the Taliban don't like us. Let's put it that way. And uh, in 2016, when they attacked, um, they killed 16 of our uh, students and staff and faculty and over a hundred were wounded. Uh, some of them with with injuries that, that still impact them to this day. Uh, around the same time, they actually kidnapped two of our professors uh, who were instructors in our professional development uh, program. and um, And they were released back in 2020 um, and uh, the reality of it is is that uh, and it's a very it had a really chilling effect on me that uh, two days after the uh, Taliban came to Kabul, they posted a picture uh, on Twitter, I believe, uh, where they said that they had chased the infidels out of the country, and the picture that they posted was right in front of our apartment building where my bedroom window was to their left. So um, with all my stuff in it, by the way, they, they, I, had, I had over 30 bow ties there that, that we joked about it in, in a way that maybe I would change the fashion of the Taliban by having them start using bow ties. But um, uh, yeah, it, it was, um, it, it was a, a strange thing to, to have happened that, uh, that they all of a sudden were our, on our campus two days after, after uh, the last people left from the university.
1: So, um, you handled the emergency relocation of the AUAF students to Education City, but also to some other universities. AUAF will receive for a period of two years funding from the Qatar Fund for Development. How do AUAF's operations in Education City function, and how did students adjust in Qatar? I, uh, recently, I had an event with Fakunda on. Uh, women's football, uh, and we had lots of students from your university attending the event, which was fantastic. So, um, yeah, how is um, relocation going?
2: Well, the uh, the Qatar government was uh, really wonderful from the beginning. Um, we'd already begun talking to them about establishing a campus here before the uh, the Taliban came into power. Um, and so we were well on our way to say, like, well, we, we would like to be a part of Education City and to talk to them about that. They helped us uh, in August and September to relocate people elsewhere uh, through Qatar. So that was tremendous. The, the embassy, uh, the Qatar embassy in Kabul was unbelievable in their support. Uh, they arranged for uh, people to uh, go through their embassy on buses into the airport and such. So, so they did a wonderful job. Uh, now, when it came to Education City, um, we signed a contract with them, as as you stated, and uh, it took some time to figure out all the logistics of, of getting into Education City as, as a new university who didn't have the money that uh, other universities have that are in Education City, and, and we were not able to provide for the students uh, as other universities would. We were uh, without just about everything. And, and we rely on funds from others. Um, we had uh, last August, finally, we were able to bring students in. We had a, a traumatic experience then uh, at the airport in Kabul when we thought uh, the Qatari officials had talked to the Taliban and everything seemed to be okay to have the students come. Uh, but unfortunately, something happened at the airport uh, last October 25th where uh, all but one women were stopped at the airport. They were severely traumatized. Their documents were taken away. They thought for a while that they would be arrested. It was a, a horrendous eight-hour experience at the airport. I was in constant contact with them. There were they uh, were crying and and terrified. Um, only one girl was able to get through because she happened to have a brother that was going as well. Uh, but. When that happened, we had to reorganize. The girls were let go eventually. They were given their passports back, but uh, they were on a red list in the airport, so we knew that they couldn't go through there. So I had to reorganize and figure out a different way. And we got them through Pakistan. We organized having them get visas in Pakistan. I happened to have a, a, a small safe house there for uh, students in, in emergencies where I was able to house them for a few days. And then we flew them here, uh, excuse me, here, not here where I am, <laughs> I'm actually in Spain, but I, I just came from Doha where, where all the students are. And um, we were able to get uh, most of them through there. We're still working on about 12 of them uh, that are not in Doha yet. But in the last um, few weeks, uh, we have been able to get uh, over 40 women through the uh, Pakistan or Iran routes uh, to Doha. It's been extremely challenging, stressful and difficult for the young women, but they've been amazing. Uh, there is, it takes such tremendous courage to make these steps. Uh, we actually were able to get also almost 20 of them to Kyrgyzstan, where we have um relationship there with American University of Central Asia. Yeah, I just
1: wanted to ask this, because when preparing, I I, I read that uh, also some of your students uh, moved to the American University of Central Asia, Bard College, uh, American University of Iraq. Um, So um, maybe you could uh, um, share some insights about the relocation to to other universities and how many AUAF students are still left in Afghanistan.
2: Yeah. well. Um, in, the, in the fall of 2021, both AUCa and AUIS, you know, American University of Iraq, Suleimania, reached out and said, "Hey, we'll help. We'll, we'll bring some people in." And they were all brought in basically on a sort of um, uh, visiting transfer visas uh, to these uh, countries. It was about a hundred uh, or so to each uh, country that we were able to relocate. Then that was, uh, you know, with help of uh, Qatar government, they, they were instrumental in, in helping with with um, relocation to Iraq. Um, we have uh, the students in Iraq, they are heading most of them to the United States, uh, eventually through a grant. The AUCA uh, group is still in Kyrgyzstan and continues to study there. We've mostly transferred them over to um, AUCA as students, or they have graduated. So we're working on and helping them as well. It's uh, a lot of students then help themselves to go elsewhere. Um, and, uh, and more or less what, what we're looking at is this, we have, and we made an obligation to the students who were current students last fall, that we would relocate them, uh, out of those, uh, students that remain, there is about 200 of them. Uh, and, uh, and it's difficult because, uh, uh, as Parcunta ma- mentions, it's getting visas in, in countries where it's safe is extremely difficult. And the focus shifts quickly. Um, in, in Europe, uh, this focus shifted to Ukraine back in March, and all of a sudden, the Afghans are forgotten. Um, those are things that just happen in the world. We we continue to uh, try to help them. We still have. Uh, a promise of at least 200 students to go to Qatar, where we only have about 80. So we still have 120 that we're hoping to bring to Qatar. Those who are
1: left, can they have like online classes?
2: or Yes. So uh, we had started to be online in um, during the pandemic in 2020. And so there was an easy shift for us to continue to do that. And we... Did offer the classes from the beginning in 2021, even when uh, the fall of Kabul was basically going through. We felt that it was a safe haven for students. In the beginning, we just talked to them and, and they. We shared experiences. We didn't really teach for the first two or three weeks, and then we started saying, "Hey, you know, let's let's get at least some normalcy to your lives." It's been difficult, but we we provide them with uh, data packages to to study, and with the new students that we brought in, both uh, this. Uh, j- last January and now this uh, August, uh, we provide data packages for them to study online. Perfect.
1: So my last question is to both of you. Uh, what do you wish for the future for Afghan athletes and Afghan students? Fakunda, could you start? What do you wish for the future for Afghan athletes yeah. in general and particularly women?
0: For sure. Before I answer that question, I just want to say, Arnie, I meant... A bunch of the uh, students of the American University with uh, Daniel at our conference in Qatar, and I think they are just absolutely incredible students and you just see how confident they are and how willing they are to learn and how excited they are to be in Qatar and have access to quality education, but also how worried they are about their family and their other classmates that are left behind in Afghanistan. And they, you know, immediately were asking me, like, how do I advocate for them to come out of Afghanistan? What can I do to support? Like, Mm -hmm. who can I connect with? And it just shows that, like, Afghans are so, um, I mean they truly care about each other, they want everyone to excel, and they are trying to use their platform in order to help their classmates and others left behind. So I thought that was absolutely incredible. Uh, But with regards to um, what I wish for Afghanistan, of course, um, I wish for them, uh, Afghan athletes, uh, non athletes, students alike to first of all, have a safe environment and a sustainable place to live, where they can actually grow and thrive. Um, and use their skill set to benefit society. So yes, a lot of Afghans have been evacuated. That's a huge uh, stepping stone. But when they're evacuated, as Arnie mentioned as well, many of them are in a limbo situation. And not only are they not benefiting the society, but they are not using their skill set in order to to grow and advance their careers, their academics, and athletics. So many of the female athletes that have left, uh, I hope and I wish that they continue to be um, uh, at the top of the world's agenda and you know, Afghanistan's situation a year from now has not gotten any better. If not, it continues to get worse. And we see on a regular basis, Afghans are being denied basic rights, basic human rights, especially Afghan women who are not uh, able to even access uh, things like education and are deprived of everything. And so I do hope that we continue this dialogue and they are, um, you know, we provide platforms for them to discuss uh, what is going on in Afghanistan, but most impo- importantly, we provide solutions so that we can build sustainable frameworks, uh, help advance women and girls in all scopes of life and allow them to be active members of society once again.
1: Yeah, I mean it's frustrating that uh, 32 out of 34 uh, Afghan provinces have stopped secondary education for girls uh, which makes it more important the work Ani uh, you are doing with the American University of Afghanistan so what do you wish for the
2: future well I've been in education for a long time over over 30 years now and uh, every single student that I met and there is a lot of them, uh, over time from any country, um, has the chance to make a difference. And and Afghan students are no different. Uh, We are working on bridging the the gap that is being created by not allowing young women to have education. So we're starting with uh, academy programs uh, where it's sort of like a uh, university bridge programs where we're going to teach girls that uh, are not getting high school education to get the type of, of education that will enable them to continue to get university degrees. Uh, we firmly believe that our students will make an impact. And, and I, uh, one of the young women who came uh, and I picked up at the airport in Doha, she couldn't wait to speak to me because she has herself been working on helping young women in Afghanistan. She created a, an online system for students to be educated with people out of Germany that she figured out herself. Um, There is such great passion among them to help others. And I think they all believe the Taliban rule will not last. Um, And and there's signs that there's going to be a lot of trouble, even civil war in Afghanistan in the next few months or or years. It it doesn't look good at all. Um, So who knows what will happen? So I think that they have a belief that they will make an impact uh, for, uh, for students and people in Afghanistan. I think the biggest thing that I have to say is the problem here, and Farkunda alluded to this, is mental health. Um, the mental health of students in Afghanistan is difficult because of the situation they're in, but also the people who, who get out. Uh, the guilt of being out where families are, are in danger uh, the uh, many uh, issues of anxiety and depression one of the girls who came she, she said to me uh, to being in for three days I've been crying for three days i just can't stop crying there are a lot of issues there we've we've gotten a lot of help with that and we need more help with that because so many of them are going through the after effects of the trauma and and current trauma uh, it's it's clear to us we, we've had a lot of mental issues in the students that were in Iraq and and in um, Kyrgyzstan so we know this and and we and I I think that the mental health of all these young people is going to be critical in in their lives in the future to really be able to be the best version of themselves
1: yeah thank you both of you I have to say that preparing for this podcast and talking to you really moved me a lot and um yeah, thank you very much for all the great work you are doing. Um it's not easy to to transform from the discussion on on to, uh, to, to just sport, but I wanna ask you just at the end, both your countries didn't uh, so Iceland didn't qualify for the World Cup. I assume fakunda you're sharing with Canada.
0: Yeah, well Canada has um Uh, definitely qualified for the World Cup. So I will definitely be supporting. But unfortunately, Afghanistan has not. And hopefully, in the future, my dream is to see the Afghan men or women uh, competing at the world stage.
1: Yes, both men and women. And Ani, how about yourself? Iceland did a pretty good job in football in recent years, qualifying for the Euro, for example, but not qualified for Qatar 2022. So what's
2: your no. team? Well, we are by far the smallest nation to ever have qualified for the world cup, uh, finals, which, which was in 2018. We're very proud of that. Uh, uh and, uh, we're so, we're so small with 300,000 or so, uh, people that we, we always are the smallest <laughs> wherever we go. But, you know, uh, I, I love the world cup wherever it is. And, and, um, will be a keen follower uh we always have affinity for the english uh in there but of course the nordic teams we 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 favor the nordic teams as always we want to uh support our cousins uh, in in denmark for example in sweden so you know we'll see how that will go
1: okay <laughs> well i'm german i hope the german team is doing pretty good of course good. yes
2: <laughs>
1: all right <laughs> Thank you you very, very, very much and all the best for the two of you, personally and professionally. And please continue helping Afghan football players and students.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Much appreciated.